0: This is Coast Strange Radio, a radio program of the Coast Strange Association. My name is Andrew Collins Anderson, and I am the host for Coast Strange Radio. Located in Western Oregon, the Coast Strange Association works to build just and sustainable communities that provide for people in the natural world. Our work focuses on the connections between Oregon's forests, communities, and the climate crisis. A better world is possible. To listen to past episodes and to learn more, visit CoastRange.org or email me at andrew at coastrange.org. We hope everyone is doing well. Coast Range Radio is still doing interviews, and we are following best practices during the COVID-19 pandemic. This is our first phone interview, and we'll be doing more in the future. On today's show, we are speaking with an excellent organizer and forest activist who is the Forest Defense Campaign Coordinator with the University of Oregon Climate Justice League and the field-checking intern with Cascadia Wildlands. We are speaking with Courtney Kaltenbach. Hey, Courtney, thanks for joining us here at Coast Range Radio. What is the UO Climate Justice League and what do you all do?
1: Yeah, so the Climate Justice League is a student organization at the University of Oregon. Um, they receive funds from the ASUO, which is the Finance and Government um, Association at the university. And we. our mission is basically to run campaigns um, that help combat climate injustice. And over the years, we've had many different campaigns, was all different ways. We've had Take Back the Tap, which was all about installing um, water bottle, water fountains in the university before they had that. We had a, a huge divest campaign um, around three years ago that was all about the university divesting from like natural gas investments. Um, and right now we have two campaigns and one is Campus Sustainability, um, which is working on making sure that our campus is held accountable for being sustainable and not just greenwashing. And then our other campaign is Forest Defense, which is a campaign that I help organize, um, which is all about trying to protect our public forests, especially since they're so important in sequestering carbon.
0: Great. So why have you decided to focus on forests and forest defense in your climate organizing and advocacy work?
1: Right. Yes. So, it's, you know, Oregon is a really interesting um, place as far as environmentalism goes, because you get this influx of students every year from all of these different places, um, nationally and internationally. And so it's really hard to kind of figure out, like, what you want to focus on um, as far as, like, how you want to make a difference. There's a lot of different programs on campus. And we decided to focus on police defense because it is – like, the geographical makeup of, like, the areas around us. it's, like, so important. Um, And it's a really good way for students to, like, kind of reestablish a land ethic when they move to a new place and to, like, really start to understand the land um, that they've moved to. And so through doing forest defense, we connect these issues um, on a local level, as well as there's so many great resources and there's such a great history of forest defense activism within Eugene um, that's really, really helped students connect to older populations of environmentalism and learn more um, tactics and advocacy work as well.
0: You mentioned as we were setting up this call that the uh, University of Oregon Climate Justice League works with Cascadia Wildlands. That's great. Um, how did you all get involved uh, with the Cascadia Wildlands' work?
1: Yeah, so basically Cascadia Wildlands, um, we meet with them regularly and... We figure out um, what timber sales they're currently working on, and then we take um, the information they give us and we talk to the group and figure out which timber sale we specifically want to bring to campus to focus on. Um, and then from there, we pick an area that we want to work on um, getting protected, and we run an entire campaign, which includes taking college students out to the area. It's typically BLM land, which is public land, so we really try um and talk about the idea that this is like our land and as a population of Oregon, like we should have access to it and be able to recreate it. And then we also talk about um forest justice and um like impacts of logging on rural communities and things like that. Um so Cascadia is like our point person. We do a lot of joint trips with them. Um and we work specifically with their grassroots organizer. Um, Sam who provides us with like a lot of knowledge and helps us organize our trips.
0: That's great. And what are these trips um, what do you all do on these trips when you go out into the forest?
1: Hmm, yeah. So um, these timber sales can range from wanting to be clear cuts or wanting to be some cleaning, um or they want to just want to do some harvest. And so we with every sale we're like learning more things. When we typically go out to the forest, we do this thing called field checking, which is basically where we go into the units that are designated to have some sort of logging. And we have a list of things that help protect the forest, um, which includes marbled nearlet habitat, um, like large legacy trees, um, streams and waterbeds. And these are the things that we're mostly looking at. Um, so then we can write really, really well informed comments and also use our experiences to educate other people about these forests that might um, be in danger of being cut. Probably what we have seen is that when they are designating a forest to be cut, um, they're using processes, like a lot more they're using aerial surveying. Um, and So they're not on the ground working at these areas. Um, And they they have a lot of pressure federally to be cutting down a lot of forests um, for economic reasons. And so a lot of the times they will, like, bundle up a bunch of land into a sale. um, And then without people actually going and exploring this area, sometimes there will be, like, parcels of forest or, like, really, really important parts that are overlooked um, that they don't have the opportunity of seeing. And so um, Cascadia Wildlands really, really focuses on finding those areas, especially, like, old forests. Or sometimes they will pick a forest and say, this forest needs to be thinned um because it's been fire suppressed and we need to help protect, or, like, this is going to be good for the overall health of the forest. And then we go in and we're like, no, this forest is actually extremely healthy. Um Or we'll find, like, a couple of acres within a huge sale that should be protected. And we've had a lot of luck with communicating with the DLM once we have found these areas that we think shouldn't be cut down. Um They will go on hikes with us. or like, let us show them what we have found a lot of times. And so it's mostly just, like, being on the ground, seeing what this forest is, filling in the gaps, what the BLM um, doesn't do.
0: That's great. So the uh, Climate Justice League is a school club, um, I'm assuming. How do you all get students to get involved and uh, how do you uh, how do you get them excited about this really cool uh, opportunity that you're offering?
1: Mm, yes. So it's a school club. Um, and something that we have found really successful is partnering with the OP program which is the outdoor program at the University of Oregon and um, what they try and do is like get people outside they have multiple vans and they do trips and so what we have done is we have sponsored trips and so then we had like the biggest trip we had was like 24 seats in a van and people and these emails go out to everyone on the listserv at the University that has interest in going on trips outdoors which is a really large population of the University um, and so then they get this email of being like, okay, there's a trip this weekend to go into a forest with the Climate Justice League. And we've had a lot of luck with meeting students that wouldn't normally come to our meetings and be involved in forest defense, but wanting to go outside or maybe being curious about um, the forest, the forestry in Oregon. Um, and so that's like the main process we've had a lot of luck with. Um, and then it allows us to take like large groups usually for really cheap, which helps. Um, students who wouldn't normally be able to access these areas have access to them and really understand the practices in place in Oregon around logging.
0: This seems like a really great opportunity to get connected to different organizations and people in the community.
1: Yeah, yeah. We definitely try and and kind of like build the relationship outside of the campus because um, the University of Oregon is just kind of it's really its own separate area um, that doesn't have, even though we have access to a lot of really great natural areas around it, I'm um, including Hendricks Park, which is like a segment of old growth forest, it's really good for students to be able to like get off campus and get involved and meet um, different members of the community that aren't like 18 to 25 years old. It can be really refreshing and just good for your overall health, I'd say.
0: Why does the Climate Justice League focus on climate justice? And maybe you could give us a a definition of what is climate justice?
1: Mm, Yes. Um, So climate justice um, is basically the idea that climate change is going to disproportionately affect populations um, due to the inequality that's like around globally, nationally, as well as locally. Um, And so trying to find where climate change um, is affecting our populations in general, or just like things that overall contribute to climate change because we're trying to directly show that within our organization we see the ties between um, social injustice and climate change, and that's seems to be the forefront of what our club is trying to do. So that is why we, like, propose Mod is the name and try and make sure that all of our campaigns have a really strong tie to social justice to really advocate for that intersectionality.
0: When was the club founded, and, and how do you all uh, organize yourselves? How is it managed?
1: Um, I think that we were founded in the early 2000s. Um, so we were pretty, in context of the university, we're the oldest environmental club, um, but that's just because the university is constantly, like the makeup and the types of clubs are like constantly changing. It's really where the student interest is. Um, because there's such a high turnover rate for the university, um, You know, every four years, there's new people. Um, You see the dynamics of clubs changing a lot. So like, what creative kind of justice might mean to the students in four to eight years might be completely different than the way that we see it now. Um, So I think that that's one of the really cool dynamics of student organizations. But it also can be really hard because that's how clubs die very quickly and easily is when you lose momentum through the students that are involved. Once they graduate, it's really hard to, like, maintain – um, a club, as well as it maintain a mission, um, you see a lot of like mission drift because like the bylaws and like missions written um, by one set of students might be like, completely different, or like might not even be read by the new set of students that become involved. So it creates its own interesting dynamic.
0: Yeah, that's um excellent experience. Uh, we have that problem often in uh, nonprofits and all sorts of organizations. That's that's great.
1: Totally. Right. And I think that that's where the partnership with local nonprofits can really, really help is because they've been there for a lot longer. And so then they can like kind of be um, a constant source of knowledge and a base for um, a student organization. And you see that a lot with Osberg, which has a huge network and they are like a campus um, club, but they also are a lot more than that. They're a huge advocacy nonprofit that works like I think nationally and so that's the base for their club which is a little bit different from Climate Justice League which does, doesn't have a national base to a larger organization.
0: Do you all work with groups who are uh, engaged in the Green New Deal or what is your take on the Green New Deal and uh, your how does it connect with your work with forests?
1: Right yes so we actually have just endorsed Doyle Canning. We had a vote and we've been working on her campaign and contributing to the phone banking and canvassing for her campaign because of her um, work with the Green New Deal and her policies and endorsement of the Green New Deal. Um, so we strongly believe that it's important. We also do a lot of organizational um, events and whatnot with Sunrise Eugene, which has a huge involvement with the Green New Deal. And so we don't directly do advocacy. Um, for the Green New Deal is our club, because we think that we like want to focus more on our campaign-specific missions, but we are in full support and we work with other organizations um, due to their involvement with the Green New Deal.
0: What are some of the other projects or campaigns that the Climate Justice League is working on right now?
1: Yeah, so the other thing that we we're organizing that recently got canceled because of COVID um was an eco grief panel for Earth Week. Um so that's something that our organization has started to talk about is because we are like a student organization that does environmental work. Um there's kind of this new topic of conversation that's around have, um feelings of grief over the environment being destroyed. And it's a very new kind of work like it's just like a new concept being brought just due to like how fast the environment was being destroyed, and so we're trying to like be on top of all this so and we can like support people and like um just be vocal about the fact that this is an emotional subject as well as like in the science environmental subject
0: wow that's some really important uh discussion to have there super intense. Uh, what is what is the role of the Climate Justice League in helping people, you know, kind of work through some of that ecological grief or, you know, I can imagine going through the woods or, or doing these forest uh, uh, outings would be really helpful for that.
1: Um, we actually were just talking the other day about how amazing it is for like the work that we do is that we get to go into the forest and hike around and like see all of these really natural, beautiful places um, and I think that like being able to do that and being able to do it with a group um, is just like a very powerful, like powerful way to kind of cope with all of the environmental issues that are happening right now. Um, also, like we go out into the forest and we share meals together and we eat lunch and we sing songs on the guitar. And I think just like um, having fun times while we're doing our work, like within environmentalism. In the room for there to be like times which our community is bonding together and celebrating, um, I think is really, really important. And the Climate Justice League has really, really tried to do that. We've done a lot of community events, whether that be potlucks um, or like talent shows or canvassing, um, just things like that. We try and also just like hang out and be a good community basis.
0: So why forests? Why are y'all focusing on forests with the campaign that you're working on? And how does that connect to climate change and Oregon's response to addressing climate change? Um, Yeah, forests, uh, why are they so important in Oregon?
1: Yeah, so I mean, if you look at a lot of the studies, I'm sure you're familiar, that come out of Oregon State. Um, There's a lot of studies showing that the Pacific Northwest forests are some of the most powerful forests in the nation and in the world for sequestering carbon. They're actually essential to mitigating climate change. And so, like, ever more presently, it's just become so important to protect these forests while they're still here. And we're just seeing um, these forests getting logged at such a high rate. And it's pretty horrifying, given the fact that, like, we should first of all, stop logging forests. And then we should also like be trying to create as many forest areas as possible. Um, we also deal a lot with the miseducation around um, what the logging industry usually says is like, okay, we plant, we are constantly planting trees, we're planting these areas, but we care about these forests um, and not acknowledging the fact that old forests are scientifically proven to sequester more carbon. Um, And then when you go in there and you log them and you build all these roads, um, that you're actually contributing to carbon. And another thing I think is really really important to note is that the logging industry in Oregon is the number one carbon emitter of the state, Um, and so it's really directly tied to climate change.
0: Yeah, those studies are super important and really interesting uh, regarding how how uh, excellent our forests here are in the Pacific Northwest for. Storing carbon and uh, yeah, it gets me thinking. You know, how do we we do this type of work with the, at the Coast Range Association? Is how do we work with rural people and rural communities and per, you know how do we provide for people's livelihoods in the forests while you know taking care of forests and managing them in an appropriate way and looking at you know how these large you know timber companies are managing forests compared to what could be done?
1: I mean, I think it's really important to understand that um, that there is proper forest management um, and that we are being like as sustainable as possible with the our liking um, conversations right now. I think something that Climate Justice League has come across is there's this huge social and political divide between environmentalists and rural logging communities. Um, we really, really, really recently had an experience where we attended the Oregon Logging Conference where a climate denier was speaking. He was the keynote speaker, Patrick Moore, um, who says over and over and over again that carbon is actually good for humans, um, that it's like the life force of everything, and that more carbon is not going to hurt anyone. Um, and we decided to like show up and interrupt his speech based on the premise that like this is like misinformation and miseducation being spoken um, at a logging conference. And like logging needs to be educated about like sustainability. And there's a lot of like logging companies that are beginning to talk about sustainability and the right ways to log. And having a climate denier speak is just going backwards in um, our ability to deal with climate change. Um, and so we decided to come interrupt and it went really, really badly. We were treated really, really awfully. And, um, we felt bad as well because it didn't turn into like, okay, we wanted it to kind of be this silly thing where we were pointing out that what this guy was saying was obviously idiot, like, was just based off of lies and misinformation. Um, but it just turned into like immediate hate. As soon as we were identified as environmentalists, there was like a lot of, physical brutality, and we were, like, physically um, taken out of the conference, and it was just really interesting, because for students, you know, they're learning in their classrooms about sustainability and proper forest management, and we talked about climate denying, and it seems like climate denial is in the past, like, we've all kind of thought that we've moved on past that, so it was a really, really weird experience to kind of see this information being. Um, given out to like the logging industry and like families of the logging industry at whole and being endorsed by the Oregon Logging Conference. Um, And then also not just being endorsed, but being like violently protected um, was also a really, really weird understanding. So I think that what we are trying to move forward is like um, effective ways of kind of building those bridges with, the logging industry and families that um, are from logging backgrounds so that we can like move forward. And I think that's what's so great about the Green New Deal is it really, really talks about um, like working families and making sure that there's protection in the economy as we move to more sustainable practices. Um, And so just like trying to communicate and say like, you know, we're not trying to take your jobs away um, we're not trying to harm your families. I know that we are always just like pointing out that like, that's bad for the environment. Please don't do that. Um, but like, we're trying to do this for the good of all of us. Um, and that like, it's not like we're not your enemy because it, at this point in time, it, it really does feel that way.
0: Yeah. That's a huge part of the work that the Coast Range Association does. And we've done uh, the director, Chuck Willer has done some really excellent um research regarding wall street forestry. Um, the program is called challenging wall street forestry and researching, you know, changes in ownership, changes to different, um, uh, type management companies, timber investment management organizations and real estate investment trust. These types of, um, businesses or organizations that basically manage the forests for financial, um, for the benefit of their shareholders and nothing to do. They don't manage them in any way for, uh, ecological reasons. And, you know, there's even studies showing that the way that they're being made, these forests are being managed by these organizations. They're actually reducing the amount of, um, board feet that could be, so it's not even based on, you know, the amount of production it's truly based on the growth of money and the growth of these forests and competing with, compound interest in the growth of the, of growth of money. So it's, yeah, it's really, uh, interesting and it has a huge impact on the forests. has a huge impact on rural communities, impacts on, you know, local and state taxes, uh, you know, resources for communities to help take care of themselves. So yeah, we'd be happy to share some of that research with y'all and, uh, yeah.
1: Right. Yeah. I think that's very well put. And I think that we'll definitely have to look into that research. Um, we're trying to, build kind of this canvassing, um, script and model so that we can kind of start trying to talk to more rural families and kind of find some common ground. I think that seems like a very good, um, point of research to look at as well.
0: Great. So how do folks get involved with your work or how do folks, you know, get involved in this work and, and, uh, continue to learn about this or, or get out into the, to the woods or, yeah, what are some recomm- recommendations you have for folks?
1: Yeah. So I also think one of the basic things that you can do is go field checking and Cascadia Wildlands hosts monthly field che- like public field checking and Climate Justice League always has a really strong presence there and we try and bring as many students as possible. And part of that is is building relationships with the community and students trying to do the same um, mission. Um, And you can always find that on Cascadia Web. Because field checking is in dispersed small groups in the forest that we're going to continue doing them as of now um, amid the virus. So this might be a really, really good way to, like, go out and do something but also stay safe and practice social distancing and also be able to connect to nature. And so we're hoping to maybe do some increased um, field checking and take students out as well because all of their classes are be online. So there's going to be, I think, a lot of restlessness and wanting to get out. Um, but that's just going to be based on the way that things progress. But we're hoping um, that that might be a good way to continue our work. If you want to stay updated on Climate Justice League and the things that we're doing, um, our email is climatejusticeleague um, at gmail.com. And then all of our Instagram and Facebook is just the Climate Justice League. Um, so that's a really good way to stay updated of what we're doing.
0: Well, awesome. Courtney, thank you so much for taking the time to interview with Coast Strange Radio. Really appreciate it and really appreciate all the great work that you're doing. Um, keep it up and uh, look forward to hearing more about it in the future. And uh, thank, yeah, thank you so much.
1: Yeah, thank you for interviewing us. I think this is uh, your organization, the Coast Strange, seems like a great basis and another good resource that Clive Justice League could work with.
0: Awesome. Great. Thanks. Take care. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening and uh, stay well, stay healthy. We'll talk to you soon.